0: In 1973, a man named J. Paul Getty was the wealthiest man in the world. In that same year, his 16-year-old grandson was kidnapped in Italy and held for ransom. The ransom price that the captors declared was $17 million. And infamously, Jay Paul Getty, their grandfather, refused to pay it. His reasoning was he thought he would be putting his other grandchildren in jeopardy if he just paid these guys the money, then what would stop them from kidnapping all of his other grandkids? This is all explained in an Oscar-nominated film. That's why it's on my mind recently. The name of the movie is All the Money in the World. And this happened in 1973. Now, the man may have had his reasons for not paying the ransom price for his grandson. But when I hear this story, when I think about what happened... I picture the 16-year-old kid sitting in some room somewhere in Italy, receiving the word from his captors. You know your grandfather, the one with all the money in the world? He's unwilling to pay anything to get you out of here. How did that feel for the 16-year-old kid? Well, the Bible describes that all of us are in a similar predicament as the 16-year-old kid. The Bible describes that because of sin, we are held captive. We are like people who are imprisoned by our futile ways, it says in 1 Peter. And a ransom must be paid for us to be released into freedom. So the question is, do we have a Heavenly Father who is willing to pay the price to release us from our captivity to sin? Do we have a Heavenly Father who is willing to pay the ransom in order to release us? Howard just read us the answer in 1 Peter. Let me read it again in case you missed it. This is an amazing phrase from Scripture. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. It says, Know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. In other words, sin. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. What price did he pay for the ransom? Not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is the good news of the gospel, that sin has held us captive, that a ransom must be paid, and that when our Heavenly Father looked at the situation, the captivity that we're in, He said, I will pay any price. I will be far more costly and precious than even all the money in the world. Not with perishable things, it says, like silver or with gold, but with my own life, says God. I will spill my precious blood just to set them free from their captivity to sin. This is the gospel. We have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. We are saved by the blood of of the Lamb. Now, that's a phrase, if you've been around Christianity at all, you've heard that phrase a thousand times. We're saved by the blood of the Lamb. I almost want to put on an old timey preacher voice and say it. We're saved by the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> Amen. I'll get Leon to play the organ a little bit. I'll say it a million times. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb. That was fun. But what exactly does that mean? If you're new to the Christian faith, maybe you're wondering, okay, I'm hearing this phrase. Maybe if you've been around Christianity a long time, it's worth us examining exactly what that means. We have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. We might ask ourselves, saved from what exactly? What are we saved from? 1 Peter shows us we're saved from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. We're saved from our captivity to sin. He's paid the ransom price. Yes, that's part of it. That's actually half of the equation, according to the Bible. We've been saved from our sins, but there's another half. There's another thing that we've been saved from. It's very important for us to understand if we're going to understand the fullness of the gospel. We've not just been set free from our captivity to sin. We've been saved by the blood. From the wrath of God. The blood has saved us from the wrath of God. There's a reason we don't talk about that half of the equation nearly as much. It's not as pleasant to think about. We like to think about God as this warm, fuzzy, cuddly being in the sky who does nothing but love us. But we have to understand that the blood of the Lamb saves us from His wrath. That's what's going on in the Exodus story that Howard read for us this morning. God is pouring out his wrath upon the Egyptians. The story that precedes the one we just had read, it's probably familiar to many of us. The story is that God looked at his people, they were enslaved by the Egyptians. This offended God. God hates slavery. If anybody ever cynically challenges your faith and says, oh, look, there's slavery in the Bible, the Bible's for slavery, they're wrong. God hates slavery. God is offended that the Egyptians are holding his people captive in slavery. He's also offended by something else, maybe even more offended by the something else that the Egyptians were doing. They were worshiping idols. They were worshiping false gods. He designed all people to love him with our whole heart, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the Egyptians were breaking both of those badly. They weren't loving God with their whole hearts. They were worshiping idols. And they certainly weren't loving their neighbors as themselves. They were holding them as slaves. So God sent in Moses to say, fix this. Stop doing this. He said, let my people go. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians said, no, So God started pouring out his wrath on them, on their idols, on their false gods. One of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped was Ra, the sun god. They worshipped Ra. And so when they said, no, I will not let my people go, the first plague was the one of darkness, of blackness. God says, oh, you worship Ra? How's that going for you? I'll turn off the lights. (laughs) And he poured out his wrath on Ra, the sun god. And he sent Moses back in, and Moses said, let my people go. And the Egyptians said, no. So God poured out his wrath on another one of their gods. They worshipped Happy, H-A-P-I, the god of the Nile. They worshipped Happy. They did anything they could to keep Happy happy because <laughs> the river would flood a couple times a year, and it would help them grow all their crops. It kept their economy and their commerce going strong. So they worshipped happy. And God said, oh, you worship happy and not me? I'll poison the river. And he turned it to blood. and He poured out his wrath on that idol, on that false god. And he sent Moses back in. And Moses said, let my people go. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians said no. And so God poured out his wrath on another one of their gods. They worshipped Haket, the goddess of fertility. And if you look at the ancient symbology of Egyptianism, there's a symbol of a woman, it's a naked woman with the head of a frog, the goddess of fertility. Frogs are really good at reproducing, so they had this god that they made up that they would worship so that they could be fertile. And God said, oh, you like the goddess of fertility? You like frogs? Here's a billion frogs. <laughs> and he poured out his wrath, on the goddess of fertility sent Moses back in saying let my people go and on and on god kept pouring out his wrath on the egyptians and all of their false gods until finally it was time to address the number 1 idol the number 1 false god in egypt and that was pharaoh himself they thought pharaoh and the lineage of pharaoh was a divine being and so the son of pharaoh would be like the son of god that everybody had to bow down and worship And Moses came in and said, let my people go. And the Egyptians said, no. And God poured out his wrath on Pharaoh's firstborn, on Pharaoh's son. But there was a way to be saved from that wrath. There was a way to be saved. It was to put the blood on the doorpost of your home so that the wrath would be poured out on the lamb so that the lamb would die so that the firstborn son would not have to. But it's the wrath of God that's being poured out over the Egyptians for their idolatry, and for their slavery. This is what's happening in Exodus 12, verse 12. This is God speaking. Exodus 12, verse 12. He says this, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. God executed his judgments on the false gods of Egypt because he is the one who ought to be praised and worshiped. Now we can sit here and kind of relax a little bit. That was kind of an intense telling of the story, I realize. We can relax a little bit in our comfortable pews and say, whew, thank goodness. I'm not one of those Egyptians worshiping those silly gods and holding slaves. But I want you to notice something. It was their idolatry that offended God. I want to show you something in the New Testament. Colossians, I was going to show this up on the projector, so if you want to turn to it in your Bible, it's page 1169. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6. This should sober us. This should startle us. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Covetousness is just another word for greed. Put to death covetousness, which is idolatry now buckle your pew belt on account of these the wrath of God is coming you see this it doesn't say on account of these the wrath of God came and was poured out over the Egyptians it says, if we have idolatry in our hearts like the Egyptians had idolatry in their hearts, we have the same problem that the Egyptians had. The wrath of God is coming. We need protection. We need saving from the wrath of God still. Now I just want to pause for a moment and talk about this, this idea. The idea of sin. Because I in all of my ministry and my Bible studies and my one-on-one counseling and my preaching and the feedback from you all, I realize that many of us, most of us, we fall into one of two categories when we think about sin. On the one hand, some of us think about sin. We've been raised in traditions where it overemphasized the problem of sin. You know who you are. You grew up in churches and in schools where you were constantly told what a sinner you are and different types of sin and you got your knuckles hit with rulers and you were a sinner and you have to go confess and you're a sinner 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 and you were constantly beaten over the head with this sin problem that you have on the other hand some of us are in basically like the opposite category you never really want to talk or think about sin stop talking about this archaic idea let's think positively shall we power of positive thinking why are you always talking about sin sin's not a problem And I realize that most of us are are like in one of those two camps. We either overemphasize the problem of sin or we don't want to think about it at all. But the gospel shows us, the Bible shows us a third way. And it's this. We have a serious sin problem that has been solved by Jesus. We have a serious sin problem. Don't diminish the seriousness of sin and its problem. But the problem has been solved in Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The blood of the Lamb, if it's put over the doorpost of our lives, solves the problem. The main problem of sin is that the wrath of God is coming because of it. That problem for us is one that has been solved in Jesus Christ. Here's how. People often wonder, why there's so much wrath in the Old Testament and seemingly none in the New. The reality is there is just as much wrath in the New Testament. It's just that all the wrath in the New Testament was poured out on one man in one afternoon. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. It was his spilled blood that received the full brunt force of God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. We have two problems, with two needs for the blood of the Lamb. We need to be set free with that ransom price, but we also need to be saved from the wrath of God. I, I almost love the fact that our projectors aren't working today because we got to sing those two amazing hymns. Nothing but the blood and rock of ages. Nancy will tell you I love rock of ages. Did you hear what we sang in the first verse? Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, saved from wrath and made me pure. So we we often forget about that first part. We have to be saved from wrath. We love talking about how being washed in the blood of the Lamb makes us pure and white as snow. But also... It saves us from the wrath of God. We have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. Let's pick up the story now in verse 13. The instruction continues from God. He says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I, God, see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That's how we're saved by the blood of the Lamb. I love the architecture of this room that we're in for many reasons. But the number one reason I love the architecture of this room is because we all gather under the cross. We gather under the blood of the Lamb. Gathering under the blood of the Lamb is the only safe place from the wrath of God. I love preaching here. I love standing here underneath this banner. I wanted today, for today's sermon, I wanted to put a big red paint streak across the cross because it's a nice clean cross that we have here, but in reality, the cross is stained with the blood of the Lamb. The cross is stained with the blood of Christ, and I stand under it. We gather under it under safety from the wrath of God. I love the fact that we gather here week after week. It's like putting the Lamb on the doorpost of our church. But there's a challenge in here, I think, for us. We gather under this banner week after week when we come here, but the challenge for all of us that I want us to ask this morning is Is the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost of all of our lives? Our households, our marriage, our careers, our dreams, our aspirations, our children, our future. Because, and this is, this is a harsh thing to preach, but if it's not, if there's an aspect of your life that's not under the blood of the Lamb, the wrath of God is coming. Because we all have idolatrous hearts. That's the number one thing that sin does to us. It makes us worship things that aren't God. That's all the Egyptians were doing. They wanted their crops to grow. They wanted fertility. Of course they did. They were idolatrous in their hearts, and because of that, the wrath of God was poured out upon them. The same problem comes to us unless we are under the banner, unless we are under the safety of the blood of the Lamb, the one who died in our place, the one who received the full brunt force of the wrath of the Father. That is Jesus. There's one more encouragement or challenge for us in here. That would be enough. We could go home right now and just praise God that he's died for us. He's paid the ransom price to set us free from our captivity to sin. He he spilled his own blood to receive the wrath of God so that we could be saved from the wrath of God. But there's one further challenge in here, and it's that we've been saved for a mission. We've been saved for a purpose. We've been set free for a reason Look with me at verse 11, the instruction that God gives to his people of how to eat the Passover meal. Exodus 12, verse 11. God says, in this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. See, what God is instructing his people, what he's instructing us, is that the blood goes on the doorpost so that He can pass over, but also so that we can walk through it, right? And out into freedom, out into the rest of our lives. Buckle your belt, put on your sandals, carry the staff, become a disciple. Go out into freedom. Galatians says it's for freedom you've been set free. How silly would it be to remain in the house? Thank you, God, for passing over me. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and still be a slave. No. They had to walk under the blood of the Lamb just as God passed over it. It's the same thing for us. We've been saved for a purpose. You know, being a pastor, I get to sit so many times at the hospital bedside of so many people. And there's been a lot of occasions where somebody realizes that they were spared from death. They were close to death in one way or another, medically speaking, and they were saved, they were spared, and almost every single time that ever happens, I hear something common on the lips of the person, of the people. They say something along the lines of, you know, I guess God had a reason for me to still be here. There must be a purpose for me to still be around. I think the reason people realize that is because it's, it's like baked in. The law of God is written on our hearts. We realize if we've been saved, it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. And that purpose is to be his disciple. The purpose is to glorify him. The purpose is to tell as many people as we can about the blood of the lamb and how it saves us, how it pays the ransom price to set us free, and how it saves us from the wrath of God. Buckle your belt, it says. Put on your sandals. Grab your staff. You have a purpose now. It's not to stay in slavery, but to walk in freedom and in purpose in the kingdom. We've been bought with a price. We've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. And we have a new mission in this world to join him in seeking and saving those who are still held captive by sin. Amen.